Let's say you wanted to disappear tomorrow. What would you do? Well, for starters, you'd ditch your cell phone. Everything from your name to your location and bank accounts are tied to it. And you'd want to get rid of your social media accounts. Things like Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn, Facebook. Might even need to dig way back for that MySpace page. But let's be honest, you should probably delete that one anyway. And you'd want to stop using plastic too. Credit card transactions can be monitored from the second that you swipe. So unless it's an Amazon purchase, your location can be instantly traced to a brick and mortar shop. Finally, you'd want to stop using your name. Now let's say that you set out into the woods to disconnect. You're gone for months and months. And one day you die in the middle of the Florida Everglades, 1300 miles from home. How long do you think it would take before someone figured out who you were? How long before a relative saw your photo online? Or an old college roommate spotted you on TV? How long before your mom dialed police saying, you know, I wondered why my last 300 phone calls went to voicemail? This happened. Last summer, the Collier County Sheriff's Office found a body in the middle of the swamp without a phone, credit cards, or a driver's license. Nine months later, we have a dozen photos of a man, a vague backstory, about a hundred people who recall having seen him hiking in the past year and still no identification. The Collier County Sheriff's Office, under the direction of Sheriff Kevin Rambosk, presents Sworn Statement, a podcast exploring local cases and public safety issues, all unfolding right here in Southwest Florida. I'm your host, Christine Gill. The first three episodes of this podcast will focus on the mystery of the deceased hiker known as Mostly Harmless. We're doing this in the hopes that a broader platform will help us to reach someone who might recognize him, and to give some insight into how our investigators do their work. This first episode is called The Discovery. Here in Collier County on the Gulf Coast of Florida, we have 43 open and active cases involving unidentified deceased persons. And oftentimes, what complicates these cases is the state of the body when it's discovered. Skeletal remains can be a lot harder to identify than a body with intact fingerprints, obvious hair and eye color. You get the idea. And in Florida, especially in the summer, Decomposition is nasty, and it happens more quickly given the humidity, the rains, and the scavengers and predators who call the Everglades home. I want you to know that going into this first episode, because for all of the complications in this case, discovering the body in this condition was critical in linking this man to an alias and photographs. And it almost didn't happen. Luckily for us, two guys from Fort Lauderdale, Nicholas Horton and Logan Bueller, decided to take a hike on July 23rd of 2018. This is Nicholas. We parked like a huge parking lot, and I noticed that, you know, we're the only car there. And Logan had been out to the same spot before, but I had never been. He had described it the day before as there being, like, you know, maybe water, maybe seeing snakes. So I thought I'd wear, like, cowboy boots. I figured, like, that looks, you know, a snake was going to bite me. It'd be a lot harder to bite through those. But it turned out to be, like, a really big mistake. There's a 15-mile loop in this section of Big Cypress National Preserve, which is part of the Florida Everglades. The trail is just north of a rest stop at the 63-mile marker of I-75, which, if you don't know, is a four-lane interstate stretching from Naples to Miami. It was already 2 in the afternoon when Nicholas and Logan reached the trail, so they didn't really plan on doing the whole thing. Right when we get there, it pretty much starts pouring down the rain. And for the first couple of miles, 
kind of like we could go like further than we probably should have gone. A couple miles in, they reach a portion of the trail that's flooded. The water is about three feet high and spans about 50 yards. This is snake territory, and it's good for gators too. So they debate turning back. We're already soaking wet from the rain, so we decided, okay, yeah, let's go through. Finally, they reach the first campsite. We pull out our map and we decide, all right, well, there's another campsite you want to go keep on going. And I had plenty of energy, still had a lot of water left, and felt like, you know, yeah, let's do it. Somewhere between that one and uh, where we were before the first one, it got like the sun came out and it started getting really hot. They keep going like this and suddenly it's about 5 p.m. The sun sets at 8.19 p.m. and they don't want to be hiking at night. But they've also just about hit the halfway point on this 15-mile loop. They realize that they pretty much just have to finish it now or else turn back and do the same seven miles to the car. My feet were killing me. This is when I really regretted wearing the boots. And I didn't want to, like, uh, you know, like feel, like, weak or anything. I just kept on pushing myself, kept on going. And then at this time, too, the water was starting to run out. Eventually, they reached the site, which had a little cabin listed on the map. When they finally get there, though, they see that the cabin has burned down. Morale has hit an all-time low. Then the next place, which is not far from there, is the Noble Campsite. And that's the last campsite before the five-mile stretch out of there. So we get to that, and we see a sign that says, Campsite, 100 yards, water, 100 yards. And we didn't know what it meant by water, so we were like, oh, God, water, that sounds good. And we just started walking through it. And nobody had been out there all day. It looks like nobody's been out there in a long time. The uh, grass was really high. It was like up to my, past my waist. And we're just walking through it. None of it's like beaten down. And you can tell it looks like no one's been out there. Logan's a little bit ahead of me. And I start hearing him say, hello, hello. Like he's calling out to someone. And I think to myself, great. There's a camper out here, and I just wanted, you know, kind of the rest, and didn't want to invade in anybody's privacy. Nicholas reaches the clearing and sits down on the picnic table, a few feet from the yellow tent that Logan has just spotted. There's a pair of boots propped up outside, and it seems like someone should be inside. I just got not responding. Uh, maybe in the tent, like, I don't know, maybe the fugitive or something. I kind of, like, just want to get out of there. But Nicholas is tired. He eats a granola bar, and after a few minutes, he starts heading back to the trail. I'm probably about 25 feet away walking right now, and I hear him say, Nick, come back. I don't think this guy's doing too well. I kind of, like, leaned over to look, didn't really want to look, but then I did, and I saw what he was talking about. And then there's the hiker, or the camper, he was there, and um, he was, like, kind of in an upright position, and kind of almost, like, pretzeled up a little bit. Like, his body looked like it was um, twisted or kind of, uh, it just looked like a weird position to be in. He wasn't, like, laying down, and his eyes were wide open, and he was just looking right at me. And, yeah, I told him, like, right then there, like, Logan, this guy's dead. Call your county 911. What is the address of your emergency? Um, I'm at Big Cypress National Preserve. Is that on, on Alligator Alley? 
It is. It was off of 75, yeah, Alligator Alley. Okay. Um, are you on the preserve, though, or are you still on the highway? No, I'm, on the, I'm in the preserve right now. I'm trying to walk out of it. Okay, yeah, because I'm, I'm using your phone here to okay, get the cool. location. Um, no problem. And what is your name? I'm Nick Horton, or Nicholas Horton. And what's the phone number you called us from? Thank you so much. And did you need the police fire medical? Uh, we just found a dead body. Okay. Are you on the trail? Yeah, I'm on the trail, and then the dead body is at the Noble, um, Camp Noble site, right at the, um, kind of at the end, but when you kind of like start to turn around to come back. I've cut a lot of procedural stuff from this phone call, but basically dispatchers will get as much information from a caller as possible while deputies are en route to a scene. So the dispatcher asks Nicholas for information about where he parked, what he drove, who he's with, and how the battery life on his phone is. It's at 65%. And then obviously he'll ask more information about the body. Yeah, it's in a tent. Like, I just, like, we walked by it, and I don't know, we thought it smelled strange or something, kind of right. like in it, and it's kind of curled up. Yeah, it just looks like one body. Okay. And what, what, do you remember the color of the tent? Um, yeah, there's only one tent out there in this whole place because we just walked the whole trail. Okay. And it was like a small red and yellow and yellow. yellow. It's all yellow tent. Oh, it's an all yellow tent? Okay. Yeah. And when you did see the body, did you check on it to see if it was breathing or anything? Yeah, I mean, I didn't touch it. I looked at it. We yelled, hello, but he looked really skinny and really, um, like, I don't know, like a weird color. The dispatcher gets some more information about Nicholas and Logan's location to see what kind of vehicles deputies will need to access the campsite. They end up coming in on ATVs. All right, so we've got a lot of units on the way. Um, the units that are responding are going to give you a phone call um, and get some more information that they want to ask. Okay. All right, you. so we can go ahead and disconnect. All right. All right, thank you. A park ranger reaches the campsite. Deputies are next. Finally, a homicide investigator. My name is Detective Kevin O'Neill. I work with the Cuyahoga County Sheriff's Office Homicide Section. I've been with the Cuyahoga County Sheriff's Office for just over 15 years, and I served the New York City Police Department about 21 years prior to that. When I received the call, it had already been confirmed that the man had passed away and he was in the tent. You always look first for the possibility that this was a crime, and then you work your way down from there. But quickly, you facts start bringing you to the fact that this was not a criminal event. This is a camper. Um, when I first physically saw him in the tent, I could see that he was not, in, in my opinion, in good physical shape. So whether he was ill, fell ill, or had an illness, we w I would not know at that point. But nothing indicated any criminality involved here. The medical examiner would later determine that the man's body weighed just 83 pounds skin and bones. Shortly thereafter, it was discovered that he had about close to $3,600 in cash in, inside the tent. Uh, he had another area where he had about 40 something dollars worth of, of money also. The body was removed to the medical District 20 Medical Examiner's Office, and at that time, the crime scene was terminated. The scene is, is, is terminated, and the investigation goes from there. It would be normally procedural. But there were some things that were missing that weren't, weren't normally found, such as 
identification. We found money, but we did not find any identification. Any sort of electronic devices, you know, 90%, 99% of the world right now is carrying electronic devices, which is a, a electronic footprint of your life. He didn't have one. At that point now, you have, you have him, you have a physical description of him, and you're hoping somewhere along the line somebody has reported him missing or he has some sort of background which we can check through his fingerprints and description and see if actually somebody is already looking for him. Well, the, the first thing I would do and did was obtain his fingerprints, which were obtained at the medical examiner's office, and they would be run through the various databases and to see if we had any sort of history, such as criminal history, or was he ever in the military or anything else like that. And all the checks came back negative. So we would look to see first if we had anyone missing out of our county, which we had nobody at that time matching his description, and then the surrounding areas also to see if somebody has anybody missing in the surrounding counties that might meet his description, and that didn't come out. When you go to put out bulletins, I can't use the photograph I had of him because he's deceased. So the photograph was sent to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and assisted us in making a composite drawing off the photograph we had. One of the features noticed about this individual is that he had perfect teeth. So we felt it was, it was necessary to put that on the composite. So we got it out to the public that this guy had very good teeth. And at that point, we reach out to the press and we ask the press's help and get the information out there to try to get this man identified. Let's talk about the composite for a second. Most of the time, a composite refers to a rendering based on a victim's description of a suspect, or it's an image generated using skeletal remains. Sometimes it's an age progression. Say if a kid goes missing, and investigators want you to have an idea of what that child might have looked like as an adult. In this case, the composite was based off of a body in relatively good condition, so the hair color, length, and style are all accurate. So is the salt and pepper beard, and the blue-gray eyes are also spot on. His teeth are featured prominently because their perfection would have stood out. And when we say he had perfect teeth, we mean no dental work, including fillings. We got some flack for this composite when it first came out. People thought the photo looked weird. But you have to remember that he was just 83 pounds upon discovery. And guess what? This composite worked. The body was discovered on July 23rd, and by August 2nd, we had posted the image on Facebook. Within minutes, we had received a Facebook message. As soon as I seen it, I knew who it was. Someone from that end of the state had posted the Collier County composite sketch in our hiking group. And I immediately messaged Collier County Sheriff with a picture and asked, was this their guy? Uh, they wanted my phone number and a detective called me right back. Kelly Fairbanks is what's known as a trail angel. Trail angels are folks who go out of their way to help through hikers, and through hikers are people who are usually completing a long-distance trail end-to-end -end within one hiking season. Usually that means a couple hundred or thousand miles completed within a couple months, up to a year. Trail angels help out by leaving food and water in designated places along a trail, offering to mail personal belongings back home, or even giving people a place to rest. Kelly lives in Crestview, near Pensacola in the Florida Panhandle. I'm also right outside of Eglin Air Force Base, so the, there's about 60 miles of trail 
that run through Eglin Air Force Base property, and we, we typically handle all that area through there. As part of the trail magic that I offer to the through hikers, I have them come over to my house, stay the night, take a shower, be able to wash their gear and get them back on trail the next morning. She met the hiker on January 24th, 2018, when she had gone out looking for another hiker who was planning to pass through that day. The man she met instead introduced himself as mostly harmless, his trail name. Trail names are common for through hikers. Misty Little is known on the trail as Ridley. She's a through hiker who completed the Florida Trail in 2011. I'll let her explain. It's really just a way, yeah, of kind of having a different persona while you're on the trail. A lot of people are out on the trail to find themselves. They're in transitions between a job, the military, college, high school, some of them. Um, It's definitely a transition kind of period for many people, so I think people are searching. And so trailings are kind of a way to fill that identity a little bit differently. And as you get more comfortable with people you're hiking with, whether you're seeing them daily or, um, you know, maybe every couple days and you meet them at a campsite or a shelter, depending on which trail you're on, um, you might open up a little bit more and, and tell your real name and kind of give more of that background of your, your, your so-called real life off trail. Here's Kelly Fairbanks. Right as I pulled up to him, I was like, I introduced me, myself, I told him we're trail angels, and then we had gotten out to talk to him so that he wasn't standing on side of my car next to a road. Highway 90 is pretty trafficked. So that's the reason we got out of the car and we're just standing there talking to him. With the hikers, I'll give them a sticker for them to keep, and it has ST through hike on it. It's just something we've been doing here in Florida to kind of promote our trail to get more traffic on our trail. And he agreed to take a picture with that little sticker. So we stood there talking to him for maybe 15 minutes. Um, He had told me that he had started in New York and was heading down to uh, Key West. And I asked him, was he using the Florida Trail Guide app? And he said, no, I'm not carrying a phone. And I said, what? What do you mean you're not carrying a phone? And he's like, well, I just wanted to disconnect. You know, sometimes people want to do that. And I was like, I get it. I said, so how are you finding your way on the trail? And he told me he had just been following the blazes, and he pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket, and it was a probably 8 by 11 piece of standard paper, and it had a picture of the entire state of Florida on it with a line drawn through where the trail would go. And that's all he was using as a map. Um, I was concerned about him. Um, I told him we do a hiker reunion every January And I had invited him to tag along with us. And he said because he didn't have a phone, he couldn't tell me where he'd be in three days from now. I have a little trail magic bag that I put Kool-Aid mixes and apple cider mixes and just different things to add flavor to a water and crackers and that kind of thing. So I handed him that and he went on his way. Kelly admits that she has this mother hen personality. It's probably why she works as a trail angel. And it's always been that way. She has two younger brothers who would agree. So something about Mostly Harmless, the fact that he was hiking without a phone or detailed maps, had her worried. And she thought about him often. She asked other hikers who passed through her home if they'd seen him, and how was he making out? There's a small community of annual thru-hikers on the Florida Trail. The most they've ever had registered in one year is 43. So faces and names are memorable that way.
the one thing that stood out in my mind when I met him was his eyes and the fact that his eyes looked so young and then he had this gray beard on his face and it just didn't match his eyes in my opinion. I just felt like he was so much younger than his appearance gave you, you know, just looking at him, you thought he was older just with that full beard and the gray in it, but his eyes just were so young looking. So he, he'd been in the back of my mind the whole time waiting to see if anybody saw him further down south or if he makes it, made it to the end. But when I seen that, I just knew it was him. There was no doubt in my mind it was him. Immediately after the, we made the press release, we started receiving information. We started receiving information from the people who from the Florida Trail Association and from the Appalachian Trails, from the hiking community. We did get a lot of, uh, of tips from them. We also received tips from people who thought they might have been missing loved ones uh, from different states. And also, we got where people felt they were wanted by somebody. So it, it was a, a myriad of, of tips that we got, but most of them did come from the hiking community. And eventually we found a trail that where he started out with, with the trail named Denim, and when he first started hiking, he was wearing jeans. Um, at some point, which I learned, and he must have learned, is not a flattering trail name, and somewhere, I would think somewhere by the Alabama-Florida borders where he switched his trail name to Mostly Homeless. There's a lot of people can identify that photograph, but all they can tell us is either Denim or Mostly Homeless. After that, it's cold. Next time on Sworn Statement. Every day I try to think about what else can I do, you know, to get the information out there. I'm just, it's, I'm at a loss. If you have a tip that you believe could solve this case or any other in Southwest Florida, call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-780-TIPS. Sworn Statement is a production of the Collier County Sheriff's Office. It's produced, written, and recorded by me, Media Relations Specialist Christine Gill. Oh, and I almost forgot. You guys are probably wondering about Nichols and Logan. Are they still walking back to their car? Are those cowboy boots ruined? Finally, they're able to drive us back, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> after midnight.